Uh, we are continuing in our series this morning uh, called Saving Power. We've been taking a look at uh, chapters 8 and 9 of the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been witnessing over the last couple of weeks story after story of real people like you and me who encountered a very real and very present power, saving power of God through the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, you can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is Deliverance. Deliverance, our main passage is going to be Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is with authority and compassion, Jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed. With authority and compassion, Jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. And you can also follow along on the screen. And when he, meaning Jesus, when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So with authority and compassion, Jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed. Now before we dig into some of the bigger application points of what we just read, let's take a look at three key areas that give us a context for what we just witnessed between Jesus and the people of Gadara. Those three areas are, you can go to the next slide, the physical, the spiritual, and also kingdoms uh, are at work in this encounter. So let's take them in turn. Number one, the physical first. Uh, notice up here, there's a map um, of uh, Galilee. And a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was in that northern city called Capernaum. And last week we read about how the disciples were in a boat and they traveled across the Sea of Galilee um, and had made it through the storm. Praise God. <laughs> and uh, so uh, they crossed over the sea and Matthew records this, that this encounter took place in the region of Gadara, and <clears throat> uh, which is directly south of Capernaum. And uh, whereas the other gospel writers have it 
written as taking place in Gergesa, which is a little bit north of that. Whatever the case, uh, it's in the region known as the Decapolis. And um, the Gospels of Mark and Luke, they also record this moment. And they focus more on that personal impact that Jesus had on the two or on the demoniac. Whereas Matthew, his gospel focuses on the interaction between Jesus and the demons and the people of the area. And so Jesus and his disciples uh, had gone from Capernaum in Galilee where they belonged to a larger and more prominent Jewish community to the region of Gadara and the Decapolis, which was predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish and was heavily influenced by the culture of Greece and Rome uh, with their thought and religion. This is reinforced by the presence of the herd of pigs uh, that's mentioned uh, in the passage. And pigs are considered in Jewish culture to be unclean animals. Uh, there's some Bible references as to why that's the case. Uh, and they would have found it offensive to have any pigs, but let alone, you know, a sizable group like a herd to be in the region. And so we are in Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. So physically we're reminded though, in, in this passage, we're instantly thrust into a contrast of culture and worldview between Jews and non-Jews. And Jesus intentionally went to an area that would have made him ceremonially unclean to a people who were outside the reach of God to the Jewish mindset. And yet Jesus went there to the Decapolis with his disciples. Here, Matthew is expanding us as readers, our understanding that this promised Messiah that God had sent into the world was going to be the savior for the Jews as well as everyone else. And so there, there's a physical aspect to what we just read. Next is the spiritual. There's a clear difference between Greco-Roman and Jewish religious thought. The Roman Empire was polytheistic and they had their many, many gods and goddesses to represent different things. And the Jews, in contrast, are monotheistic. They worship just one God who they believe created everything and uh, is just one God. And yet, underneath both of these perspectives, even in the way we talk about spiritual realities, Oftentimes, we chalk it up to what's called dualism. It's the belief that ultimately everything is either good or evil. And good and evil end up being two opposing forces at work in the world with equal power and competing influence. And so the common way this shows up in pop culture is like this picture on the screen. Uh, with the guy with the confused look, and there's the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, and the devil is trying to appeal to the carnal desires of like, wouldn't this be really great? You should really do this, and the angel is advocating for the no more noble and virtuous 
virtuous paths, a path and position. Now, in our text, there is a clear contrast. Um, and in the Bible, it does reveal that there is a conflict at work between both good and evil. But a truly dualistic spiritual world is not what we see revealed in the life of Jesus and the biblical text. Matthew 28 through 34 is not about two equal and opposing forces at war. The worldview that's suggested by the Bible is that God is sovereign over all. God is greater and his goodness is superior to the evil of Satan, his angels, and the demonic spirits. And so this all leads us to the third area. You can go to the next slide. Um, for context for our passage, and this is kingdoms. So the Bible reveals that there are two primary kingdoms at work in the spiritual world. Or, uh, there is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. Heaven is the place where God is king, where God's will and his way are perfectly done all the time. And this world is the place where Satan has become king because we let him have our authority here. And now it is where his will and his way of sin and destruction influence every other part of our world. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we've already seen how through the life and work of Jesus, he went about preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, which is the first century way of saying, it's here, it's now, it's advancing among you, it's started. We, we're off to the races, here we go. Now, here are a couple of verses that sort of highlight this contrast between the two kingdoms. So Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, he, meaning God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Also in Ephesians 6, 21, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The kingdom of this world that's ruled and influenced by Satan and, and, and the kingdom of heaven that's invading this world uh, both of these are warring for the souls of all, and God is trying to rescue them out of darkness and to bring them into his good kingdom. Now, you can go to the next slide. So here I, I've given two very contrasting pictures. That's by design. <laughs> On one side, you have a Norman Rockwell painting of the idyllic family, and uh, there's some kids in there, but the way the slide worked, it didn't quite work out. Anyway, so Norman Rockwell on one side, and on the other side, you have a picture of war-torn Ukraine, which is just a modern representation of many images that we've seen over, gosh, the past 70 or 80 years or so now of just the ravages of war, the carnage, the destruction, the rubble, the wreckage. Now, here's the irony here. here here's why I, I put these two kinds of images together. 
is because no matter how idyllic the image we see on the outside, the internal war in the minds of people, like in this Norman Rockwell painting, may have been and may still be racked with the reality of the kingdom of this world and be living just internally like their inside looks more like that wreckage of the Ukraine than what comes across on the outside. So even though they may look all put together on the outside, inside they're just as broken as the rest of us. And we're all in need of grace, and we're all in need of God's saving power in our life. Now, how all that, the physical, the spiritual, and the kingdoms relate to our passage is that the disciples had followed Jesus into a boat without knowing that they were going to witness in the physical world a cosmic showdown between Jesus and the demonic in order to deliver these men from their captivity. And that all fulfills the mission of God that's described in Luke chapter 4. You can go to the next slide. Um, where Jesus reminds us of this passage from Isaiah that says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, that is to set apart, chosen me, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he said this in a Jewish area, and he said this in a, in a place to Jewish people, but as we know, this also applies to the rest of us as well. And so with authority and compassion, Jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed. And in light of these three points of context, let's look at some application points from our passage. So the first thing we learn is that Jesus Christ crossed the divide to bring us deliverance. Jesus and the disciples on the other side of their world, stepping right into the unclean mess of this Gentile country, this goes against all levels of convention in Jesus' day. So if I were Peter or one of the disciples, I'd be thinking, Lord, are you sure about this? I mean, this is an unclean place. Unclean people, unclean spirits, and look, we just landed in the cemetery. Come on. Also, what's that unnatural, ungodly smell? Is that pigs? They have pigs here? Come on, Jesus, what are you doing? I'd be, that would be both my inner dialogue and that would probably leak out of my, <laughs> out of me just to, because, oh man, if I was one of his disciples back then. Now, Jesus was on a mission, though, to save these men, to bring them out of darkness and into the light, rescuing them and restoring them. This was no ordinary boat ride to the Decapolis. This was, uh, this was a rescue mission. This was also a spiritual invasion of sorts, and they were instantly met by the enemy. The completely unclean encountered the holy God. And right away, the demons say, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Not only as a good God-fearing Jew, but as God himself, the demons are going on the offensive by saying, 
Jesus, this is not your domain. You don't belong here. What are you doing here? In the American commentary, you can go to the next slide, uh, Craig Blomberg notes that, like Satan at Jesus' temptation, they acknowledge him as son of God and recognize their eventual doom, but they nevertheless use his name in an attempt to ward him off. In other words, the demons are not concerned to confess Jesus' identity, but are trying to use his name to exercise him. When they fail, Jesus in turn casts them out. Jesus had come to deliver these men and these people, but the demons were trying to deliver themselves from Jesus by Jesus' name. Isn't that an interesting turn of events? Now, the deliverance that Jesus brings to those in darkness is ultimately a help that heals. And these were real men who were really possessed with real malevolent spirits that in the Greek text are identified as demons. This was a real encounter that really happened. It's not just some metaphorical thing. This was a real interaction. And Jesus was actually confronted when he crossed that divide to go and heal and deliver these men. And the truth is, friends, that Jesus has come to set you and me free this morning. What in your life has been spiritually binding you to the point where you've actually rejected his offer for help? Do you feel spiritually bound up in chains? Jesus is here by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the freedom that Jesus crossed the divide to bring the demoniacs in that place is available for you and for me this morning. You can be free. You no longer have to be bound and chained. And with authority and compassion, Jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed. It was true for the demoniacs, and it's true for you and me. The second thing we learn, you can go to the next slide, is that the compassionate Christ comes to deliver those who cannot call for help. So in each of these stories we've read so far, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, you haven't covered this, but maybe you have before. All these stories in chapter 8 leading up until this moment, every single one describes people who come to Jesus crying out to him for help, either for themselves or on behalf of somebody else. And they end up finding that healing and freedom through that encounter. But here are two demon-possessed men which, who are not in control of their faculties. They are unable to speak on their own account. Whatever they just said to Jesus, that what have you to do with us, Son of God, that's coming from the demons, using their lips to, to speak that out. That's not the men themselves saying it. Which means that even if, let's say, those possessed men recognized Jesus' ability to help them to experience true freedom from these demonic possessors and oppressors, they could not have asked for it on their own. 
Now, Jesus didn't have to cross over the sea with his disciples. <clears throat> he could have stayed in Galilee for a full, thriving ministry. Judea was its own hot mess of a situation, and there was plenty to do there. And yet Jesus chose to cross that divide for these two men. That's the love of our God. That's his goodness on display. Those who do not fit neatly into the boundaries of our ideas of the faith community, God's heart goes out to those people and wants to deliver them out of the kingdom of darkness. The only problem is sometimes those are the people who may be so lost that either they don't feel like they can or they legitimately, for some reason or another, they can't call out for help or they just, they are so bound up that they can't ask for help. They cannot cry out for help even when they're alone. Jesus Christ has come to set those prisoners free just like he's come to set you and I free this morning. Now, do we live like we believe that? How many times have we been content in the safety of experiencing God's kingdom in the four walls of a church building, all the while neglecting the very real need of those around us? Maybe it's someone who lives in your neighborhood. Maybe it's the cashier at your favorite store that you go to. Maybe it's the person you run into every now and then at the golf links or it's the Elks Lodge or wherever you find yourself in your daily walk of life, there are people everywhere we go who need to be met by the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver them out of darkness. That power that is shown through the life-lived transformation of your redeemed life. Because you were once a people who walked in darkness and were lost there. And God called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now that all leads us to consider, are you experiencing freedom and victory in your life? Are you still holding on to past hurts to the point where you're letting the enemy steal, kill, and destroy your freedom that belongs to you? It's your right as a child of God as people who have said yes to Jesus, are you letting the enemy steal that from you? Have you let Jesus set you free? Or are you still letting the evil one wreak havoc and keep you prisoner to your habits, your hurts, or your hang-ups? The compassionate Christ comes to deliver those who cannot call for help, and even that includes you and me this morning. That's not just people outside. That's you here today. I know... I, in my own life, I was bound up in chains for many years. And I, I played on a worship team. I was a leader in the church. And there was all kinds of stuff just racking me. And there finally came a point where God set me free, where, where I reached a point where I finally realized, wow, that freedom is for me. And so that freedom, I believe that freedom is for you as well here today. Because with authority and compassion, Jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed. Now, the third and final thing from our text, and then we'll go see that parade. <laughs> Jesus Christ completely delivers with the authority of his word. The demons attempted to exercise Jesus. It didn't work. 
they noticed the herd of pigs nearby and the demons begged that if Jesus did in fact cast them out that they be permitted to possess the pigs and the son of God and the savior of these two men all he says is one word go and the demons leave the two men they possess the pigs and they reveal their true destructive nature by driving those animals to commit mass porcicide that's an actual word by the way as I was typing it up my my word processor auto-corrected and I thought I was just trying to be funny but man pork aside here we go but I mean whole large herd of pigs gone all that beautiful lovely bacon gone those pork chops man come on now through this even the men were completely delivered but the story doesn't stop there so the herdsmen they go into the nearby village and they tell everybody what happened especially what happened to the men and yet the people's reaction to jesus it kind of makes you pause a little bit and kind of scratch your head like what is going on why would their reaction be this way you can go to the next slide uh commentator pp levertoff said this all down the ages the world has been refusing jesus because it prefers its pigs what a remarkable image of people's reaction to the deliverance work of christ they'd rather have their stinky herd of pigs than the savior who has come with the power to rescue and redeem and restore people from their brokenness how many times have we rejected jesus and settled for lesser things all to try to meet those needs in our lives have we placed the value of our pigs over and above the people that we come across each and every day jesus christ completely delivers with the authority of his word and with authority and compassion jesus conquers evil and frees the oppressed one commentary i read said that this this story as as one of many stories it answers what's called the christological question and i had to look that up and i don't know if they have a really succinct answer but basically who is jesus who is jesus to you now we might all have varying answers in how god has met us but at a core level jesus is a deliverer he sets us free he he rescues us out of darkness and into the light and so my prayer for you and for me this morning that as we read this good word about jesus delivering these men that we would be reminded of just how good our god is that it's in his love that he has come to rescue and redeem you and me he didn't have to do it we did nothing to earn it that's his grace that's his compassion towards us he loves you and he loves everybody else too even the people who drive you nuts and so let's pray and then we'll we'll wrap this up <clears throat>